0: And welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from just the news where in a few minutes we're going to be talking to the leader of a very important movement. You've heard about court packing. You know how important that is to some Democrats. I'm not sure it's that important to Joe Biden, but it is certainly to many of the far left Democrats and and, uh, base of the party. Well, uh, you're gonna meet today, Roman Bueller. Roman used to be the House Counsel when Newt Gingrich was in power and for many years after. Very important, uh, influential Republican lawyer, trusted. And he has begun a movement called Keep Nine. Keep the Supreme Court at nine justices. And you're gonna wanna hear what Roman has to say. He's a big thinker. He knows how to organize the grassroots. He understands the DNA of Congress, having been its chief lawyer for many, many years. And, of course, uh, getting his start with Newt Gingrich, who we had on this show yesterday. Well, you know what Newt Gingrich brings to the table? Ideas. And I think that Roman has the idea bug. And this movement, Keep9.org, you're going to want to learn about them. An effort to start a constitutional amendment that would lock the court at nine justices. And, by the way... It's a bipartisan movement that one of the first one of the first signers sponsors of this legislation was a Democrat from Minnesota. Some of those on Roman's team are Democrats. There is bipartisan support for this just like the poll show. there's widespread American support for keeping the Supreme Court at nine. Uh, that is going to be a fun conversation. keep nine with Roman Bueller coming up in a few minutes Now before we get to that, I uh, last night, we broke a story. I've been promising this one for a while. Finally been able to get it wrapped up with my good colleague, Seamus Bruner, who uh, is such a great reporter, works at the Government Accountability Institute with Peter Schweitzer. He was the co-author on our book, uh, Fallout, which you guys are so gracious to buy. And so many of you on this, listening to this podcast, thank you for doing that. Well, we continue to follow the thread, to follow the leads, to follow the evidence on where... The uh, where the uh, Hunter Biden scandal goes. I'm not seeing a lot of activity at the Justice Department level, so I'm, I'm not holding my hope that there's going to be any Justice Department uh, inquiry in the court of law. But in the court of public opinion, there is still so much to learn about Hunter Biden's tactics, its contacts, who else was involved in trying to help him be enriched. And if you remember just a couple of weeks ago, we broke the story that for a period of time, Hunter Biden entertained the idea of trying to help Dmitry Furtash, the former uh, Ukrainian oligarch indicted by his own father's administration, the Obama-Biden's Justice Department, indicted uh, Dmitry Furtash, Ukrainian oligarch, for alleged bribery in India back in 2013. There are a lot of questions about the quality of that case. Um, There are uh, both Democrats and Republicans, from Lanny Davis to my former lawyers, Joe and Victoria, uh, Joe uh, DeGeneva, Victoria, Tensing. A lot of questions about the quality of the evidence in a case. The Austrian courts, the Spanish courts have all raised serious questions about Dmitry Furtash's indictment and what it meant. But. That said, we know now that Hunter Biden was willing to entertain, trying to undercut that prosecution, try to help. When he turned it down, when he couldn't get it done, he pivoted and took one of Dmitry Furtash's uh, top lieutenants, introduced him to his business partner, Devin Archer, and they got the guy uh, to invest in one of their investment opportunities in Hawaii that then went belly up, and that Ukrainian figure lost his two or three million dollars. That was the last story we did that really had some substance and edge and and uh, breath to it. But today we have a new story and it's important for a lot of reasons. One it's colorful right. Uh, Hunter Biden entertained and was working on a business deal to cash in on building SeaWorld theme parks in China. All right. Okay. Uh, he, Hunter and Shamu as a team. That's an interesting concept, right? Uh, that, But as you dig deeper, you begin to understand why so many people, like Senator Ron Johnson, who's been on this show so graciously so many times, like Senator Grassley, like all, so many of the other members of Congress and senators who have weighed in and raised concerns about Hunter Biden's conduct on the foreign stage while his father was vice president. All of those people, uh, have many, many people have raised that concern now, right? Uh, Well, let's take a look at when you dig into this deal, what you find out. First, the financing agency, the bank that was going to underwrite this and be part of this, and another deal that they were talking about that was interesting, about maybe getting the Chinese to invest in an NBA arena in Seattle, Washington, the investment bank on this one was going to be a state-owned Chinese communist bank, a sort of entity that raises red flags in our markets here in the United States among our regulators. Secondly, Hunter Biden wasn't doing this solely on his own. He and his business partners were engaging some new figures that we did not know were in the Hunter Biden uh, sphere, uh, in there one this time when he was trying to cash in on his father's name overseas. One of them is a guy named Fran Person. You might have remembered him, Fran or Francis Person, depending how we want to refer to him. He did run for Congress in South Carolina in 2016, got beat pretty handily. Uh, but he did run. But he was more important to the Biden family, not for running for Congress, but for eight years or nearly eight years, he was Vice President Joe Biden's body man, the aide-de-camp, the, the aide that is most typically the closest to a president or vice president. They're with him all day and all night. And there are documents that show Joe Biden used to call Fran Person his third son. Well, Fran Person was one of those people in on the effort to see if they could build a World theme park in China, working with the communist Chinese leaders in their bank. Well, that's not all. Shortly after he stepped aside as Obama's U.S. ambassador to China, Gary Locke, the former governor of Washington state, the former commerce secretary for Barack Obama, and in his last role in public, uh, in a public job, he was the U.S. ambassador to China to Beijing. Gary Locke, not just a few months after he stepped aside, he, too, was involved in these discussions, Uh, persons meets with him, sends uh, information to Hunter Biden. So you've got all of these people around Joe Biden and Barack Obama trying to cash in on communist China. And, you know, today you see the Democrats use much more careful language and they're much more tense with China and there's a lot of saber rattling. But back in the day, even though the threat from China was just as big back then as it is today, so, so, so many Democrats were trying to cash in on China. Hunter Biden was the leading edge of that, starting with the Air Force Two trip he took on his father's plane in December 2013, introduced his father to a potential business partner, opens up an investment firm there that has ambitions to be $1.5 billion large. It never really got there. But Hunter Biden had many, many, many other schemes, plans, proposals, pitches that were uh, designed to make money off the Chinese communist country and in some cases, we're dealing with people that had direct ties to the CCP or its government. And I think that's such an important matter. Now, what's important, too, is that he wasn't alone, right? You got Joe Biden's body man. You've got the U.S. ambassador to China just stepping down, and he's already back in China trying to cash in on some of these business opportunities there. Uh, I love one of the emails that we turned up because it shows the level of excitement they had about making money in China. Uh Quote, this is from uh, uh, spring of 2015, I believe it is. Quote, we have all the pieces in place in China to move on this. All the pieces in place in China to move on this. This is less than two years after Hunter Biden took his first trip on Air Force Two to China. It's less than a half a year or a year before, uh, after uh, Gary Locke and others um, were trying to um, help and make money shortly after resigning. Um, in the end, the Chinese didn't bite on this completely. They did buy an interest in a, a company that would have uh, the rights to see world parks, but it didn't quite work out. But the ambition, the relentless pursuit of trying to cash in on communist China is irrefutably irrefutably marked in these documents. Read the story. It's at the top of just the news. Uh, well documented. It's myself and Of course, my great journalistic colleague, Seamus Brunner, such a great researcher, so grateful he does things with me when he can find the time. We're so lucky to work together. And uh, this story is carefully documented. You can read the documents. You can read the underlying, underpinning um, information and uh, go into the dig-in section you can learn a lot. All right, when we come back, we're going to go to that commercial break. When we come back, you know what we're going to do. We're going to have an interview with Roman Bueller from Keep9.org, the head of a national movement to create a constitutional amendment that would lock the Supreme Court at nine justices, preclude forever the possibility of packing the court as some liberals and Democrats are fighting to do uh, this day. All right, we'll be back in a little bit right after this commercial break. Remember, every one of these commercials you're about to hear is somebody who's sponsoring us Advertising with us, supporting us, making justthenews.com possible, John Solomon reports uh, this podcast possible. Please, please support them. They've got great services, great products. You know who they are. We talk about them every day. But if you want to support our mission, this is one way you can do it by supporting our amazing base of advertisers. All right. When we come back, Roman Bueller joining us from Keep Nine, the effort to create a constitutional amendment. Lock the Supreme Court and nine justices. You're going to want to hear about this. Worried
1: about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are.
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest in charge of a very special movement that I think is gaining a lot of attraction. Joining us right now is Roman Bueller, the executive director of Keep Nine. If you haven't heard about Keep Nine, you need to know about them. And what does Keep Nine mean? It means let's keep the Supreme Court at the current nine justices. What a, what a great idea and what a great organization. Roman, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, uh, John, for having me on the program. Uh, Really appreciate it.
0: This is a very important movement. And who would have thought years ago that we'd be having this conversation, but we are. Uh, Tell us what the reaction has been as you try to push forward. Uh, One of your primary goals, of course, is to get uh, a constitutional amendment that, that keeps the court frozen at nine. What's been the early reaction? What sort of allies and foes are you attracting in this effort?
1: Well, this has been a fascinating effort. And the most fascinating thing um, has been the initial bipartisan uh, support that we've gotten for the idea of keeping nine justices. Uh, our, our organization actually is led by a Democrat, a former state uh, attorney general of Virginia. Uh, and it was originally proposed uh, by a group of 15 former state attorney gen- attorneys general, a majority right. of whom were Democrats. They
0: were Democrats. That's right. And
1: And and the uh, Keep Nine Amendment, which says in its entirety, the Supreme Court of the United States should be composed of nine justices, was first introduced in Congress by a Democrat. So this is a bipartisan movement. Polling shows we have overwhelming support from the public, uh, 62% in favor, only 18% against. Of those who have an opinion, overwhelming majorities of both Republicans and Democrats favor this amendment. But in Washington, this has become a very partisan issue because, as we know, Pelosi and Schumer can't wait to pack the court with their political cronies on the court and uh, and uphold uh, their uh, the things they want to do. Uh, and uh, so uh, it appears now that they've told uh, Republican uh, Democratic members of Congress, you can say anything you want about court packing, but don't support a constitutional amendment to ban it. Also, on the other hand, on the Republican side, we now have two thirds of the Republicans in the House of Representatives who support the Keep Nine Amendment. Wow! We have more than 40 percent of the Senate Republicans. We have a unanimous endorsement of the Republican National Committee for the Keep Nine Amendment. Uh, we have uh, conservative organizations like Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which represents thousands of state legislators who've endorsed it. Freedom Works, the National Federation of Republican Women, which is almost a hundred thousand grassroots. Republican activists around the country had may has made this one of their priorities. So we're making progress uh, around the country, but there's still an enormous amount of
0: work to be done. Yeah, there is. And uh, some of it's education, right? People don't realize that this can be changed with a blink of a congressional eye. Now, if I remember correctly, just before last year's election got fully rolling, there was a bill introduced, and I think it was one Republican and one Democrat, right? Wasn't it Peterson and Riggleman? that introduced the That's original right. keep nine amendment bill.
1: That's correct. Back, back in, in September, uh, they, uh, uh Peterson, uh, at, at that time, the democratic chairman of the agriculture committee and right. Denver Riggleman, uh, introduced the bill. And then, uh, uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, Ted Cruz introduced the bill in the Senate. The Senate right. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's just grown from there.
0: Wow. Very, very impressive. And, As you look out now, uh, you know, the the fact that there are vocal Democrats saying, let's keep it nine, let's not rig the system. That's a slippery slope that we don't want to go down. Do you feel that there's enough line of defense in the uh, Senate right now? Uh, The House, you know, they may very well pass it on, you know, a a one or two vote margin. But do you think uh, in the Senate there's enough of a a line there that you can prevent any uh, expansion of the court in the next uh, two years?
1: Yes, I think, uh, I think the situation has changed fundamentally in the last uh, two weeks. Uh, and as uh, most of uh, uh, our listeners know, uh, Joe Manchin is the vote that Democrats need to do things in the Senate. And when Joe Manchin came out and said he wasn't going uh, to get rid of the filibuster, uh, uh, probably because uh, it, the current situation means that no bill can pass the Senate without Joe Manchin's support, which gives him a lot of power, He's not interested in in, uh, disturbing that balance for the next two years. And so I think the Democrats have suddenly begun to pivot. Um, Three weeks ago, they were hoping that they could pack the court within the next two years. I think the smart Democrats have now given up on that. And what you're seeing is a much, much, much more dangerous Democratic strategy. You're going to see more and more Democrats say things like, I'm not a fan of court packing, or I think court packing is a terrible idea. Or, you know, I don't support court packing. And uh, and frankly, Nancy Pelosi has given them a license to do it uh, by saying that she's not going to bring uh, the Democratic court packing bill that was just introduced to the floor. But their strategy is is to pretend in 2022 like they're not interested in court packing. And anybody that raises court packing, Democrats, are, oh, no, 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 the voters not aren't interested it. in that. Yeah, yeah. We have, we're not doing it. And so we're going to find that when Republicans say they're against court packing and Democrats say they're against court packing, Democrats are hoping that they can not, court packing won't be an issue because they know that in 2020, they got creamed. They yep. lost in Maine because of the court they packing did. issue. And they yeah. lost they lost in, in North Carolina. They lost in Georgia in November. They lost in Iowa. They lost in Montana. All because their candidates were put on the spot when Joe Biden said, I won't tell people where I stand on court packing. So people wanted to know where senators stood. And moderate voters were turned off, swing voters were turned off, and Democrats lost. So they're not stupid. They aren't going to repeat that, that mistake. And so what we have to do, as the threat has changed, we have to change our strategy. We can't just say we're opposed to court packing because the Democrats will say we are too. Yeah. And then when they finally come up with a scheme, they won't call it court packing. So we've got to say to Democrats, will you if you oppose court packing, if you're really sincere about it, will you support an amendment to permanently ban it? Yeah. And that is what Pelosi and Schumer and their allies won't allow. That's why not a single Democrat in the House or the Senate has so far supported the keep nine amendment even though we had two in the last Congress. Amazing. And so if we if we can make that key question do you support an amendment to ban court packing permanently? We can expose the Democrats who say they're against court packing, but won't support an amendment to ban it. We can expose their hypocrisy. We can label them closet court packers and we can beat them.
0: <laughs> there's a new title, closet court packers. Very- You're new. Yeah. And, uh, and,
1: and if there's a Democrat that wants to join in supporting the amendment, now, they're a real firewall against court packing. That's right. And as, de- as Democrats realize they can't win elections if they're perceived as, you know, closet court packers, long-term court packers, whatever we want to call them, more and more of them are going to end up supporting this amendment. And eventually, um, the barrier the, uh, for, for court packing is going to get too high, and Democrats may decide that it's worth supporting the amendment to ban it. That may take a few years. But right now, our job is to educate voters. I think there are a lot of voters, if they, if you said, what's Keep Nine? They'd think it was a golf club. And <laughs> exactly. What we
0: think, yeah.
1: What we, we got to say is, look, you've heard about court packing, but the way to ban it is the Keep Nine Amendment. And uh, I just came back from uh, speaking uh, to a, a breakfast group at the Republican National Committee yesterday, and there was overwhelming support in that room uh, for uh, for. For, for support for a uh, for the Keep Nine Amendment to ban court packing, And Charlie Kirk, who was the main speaker, said, I love the Keep Nine Amendment. So we are getting the kind of support now that we need to make Keep Nine a household word and to make voters aware of it so that we can highlight the contrast between our team and theirs, our team being the one that wants to preserve an independent Supreme Court and their team being the one that wants to corrupt
0: it. Yeah, no, that's great. It it is a movement that once people absorb its importance, uh, you know, keeping the court above politics or political whims is something that I think all polls have shown are enormously popular. You mentioned that we had a poll here; a supermajority clearly want to keep the Supreme Court with the nine justices the way it is now and not not tinker with it. So it's on a it's on a popular plane. And now the question is, how do the Democrats play this? Let me ask you this question: the commission idea that Joe Biden has kind of kicked out there is it a Trojan horse? Is it a delay tactic? Um, When you look at this commission to study the court and court packing, uh, how do you uh, referee it? What do you you see as its real intent, true intent?
1: Well, the first thing to note about this commission is that it doesn't serve the purpose uh, that it was originally designed to serve. Remember, this commission was the result of Biden's dodge in the fall, when That's he right. said, voters don't, voters don't to know, deserve to know where I stand on court packing, So he said, well, I'm going to appoint a commission, and then uh, that'll answer the question. But if you look at the, uh, the charter of the commission, at the instructions, the White House announcement, the commission isn't supposed to make any recommendations. So at the beginning, the commission has already uh, uh, failed the purpose that it was supposed to provide. And so I think this commission is going to be designed to obscure where Democrats stand on court packing, not clarify it. Wow. And you're going to have a lot of study, uh, and some people are going to say it's great, and some people are going to say it's bad. But remember, the chairman of the commission, the guy that's really running it is Bob Bauer, right. who's White House counsel. Yeah. And anybody who uh, can go and, and Google Bob Bauer, The Atlantic Magazine, and he wrote a brilliant article two years ago about why why court packing was terrible and why Democrats shouldn't do it. And so I think what this commission is going to do, is going to let uh, progressives blow off steam while talking about why it's good. And then there are going to be some arguments why it's not so good. And then it's going to be covered for Democrats to say, see, the commission didn't recommend court packing. So court packing's not even an issue. We don't have to worry about court packing. It's not a problem. And that'll be their story right up until they have enough Senate votes to pack the court. And then like a thunderstorm in the Midwest, it'll come out of nowhere. And they won't call it court packing. They'll call it court reform. And they'll have <laughs> some they'll have some some collaborators, people who already know who some of their some are, some people who served in previous Republican administrations, who will bless whatever plan they come up with. But guaranteed, the plan they come up with, the reform they come up with, will have one essential quality, and that it will, is, it will manipulate the current majority on the Supreme Court so that Democrats can take over. And so their job is to kind of hide the ball to put the sheep's clothing over the wolf in 2022. And our job is to rip that sheep's clothing off and reveal the wolf underneath. And the way to do it is to ask every Democrat, where do you stand on the Keep Nine Amendment? And by the way, one of the most interesting things about this commission is it's supposed to study all the ideas in the current public debate. Well, it turns out that the idea in the public debate for Supreme Court reform that has more support than any other reform proposal is the Keep Nine Amendment.
0: Yeah. Do you think you're going to be part of that commission's study?
1: Well, we're going to ask the commission. And you know what? We can't lose because if they say yes, well, now we're part of the debate heard, and even yeah. the mainstream, mainstream media will have to cover it. Right. And if they say no, their hypocrisy will be obvious for all to see.
0: Wow, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a that's an important moment. Now, another thing it's studying, it's, uh, they say, is term limits for justices and judges. Uh, where do you think, the one, the American public is and where does your group, Keep Nine, stand on the issue of uh, tenure for judges?
1: Well, one of the things about a coalition, a bipartisan coalition, where you want to get two thirds of the voters and two thirds of Congress to support something, is you focus on that issue. So I'm sure that people who support the Keep Nine Amendment are all over the map on other ideas for court reform. Right. And frankly, I think part of the part of the Democratic strategy is to divert attention uh, from court packing, which they can do by law, uh, to other ideas. Uh, so that they muddle the debate. And uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, interesting discussion about term limits, uh, but term limits for court justice pretty much has to be a constitutional amendment. Right. And so the only way term limits is going to happen is bipartisan support, and that could be down the road. So we don't think term limits is the real uh, issue right now. It's whether or not we're going to preserve the independence of the Supreme Court from manipulation by Congress. And if you want to preserve the current number, then you support the KEEP-9 Amendment. If you want Congress to manipulate the number, you don't support the KEEP-9 Amendment. And the more we can focus on that issue, laser-like on that issue, and avoid distractions, the more likely we are to win this battle.
0: Now, in this argument, the, uh, the Supreme Court argument, is a much larger struggle in America, which really defines the two parties, which is uh, the party of Republicans and Libertarians and conservatives... Uh, believe that less government is more, that uh, uh, government, as Ronald Reagan once said, isn't the solution, it's the problem. And then on the other side, particularly under this president, Joe Biden is a big government president. He sees government as the solution for nearly every crisis, ill uh, opportunity in America. And I, I wonder now, you, 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 a lot of people know you in this role, but obviously you, you played a vital role for a long time as counsel to the House, particularly when the Republicans controlled it. Um, are we in a moment where this debate over the, the size and reach of government, particularly after the pandemic, becomes the defining issue of 2022's election?
1: You know, I think, I think you're on to something because there is a, a huge issue that most of the political elites aren't talking about. And it's not just bigger government versus smaller government. It is whether we want a government of checks and balances on the abuse of power or whether we want a majoritarian or an authoritarian government where the majority can do anything they want. And that issue, which is really about freedom and constitutional government versus the tyranny of the majority, right. that, that's the fundamental issue we're dealing with. And it's not just a left and right issue. There are people all across the spectrum who, regardless of how big they think the government should be, don't think the government should be free to uh, take away uh, their 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 freedoms, their constitutional rights. And whether you care about privacy or what big tech is doing in terms of censorship or whether you are worried about government control in any area, we've got to refocus that debate. And, you know, when I... When I went to work for Newt back in 89 I watched him change the entire paradigm of republican debate the paradigm of republicans in the 1980s was we're going to cooperate with democrats in running congress which of course they were doing in a corrupt fashion right but we will politely disagree with them on policy and Newt and his team came along with a different idea and they said we are not going to be complicit in the corruption of the Democrats who were running this place, hiring their kids, running the house bank that was giving the post office loans to members, all of that stuff. And Gingrich said, we're gonna denounce the Democrats for the crooks that they are. And then the second thing is, we're gonna give people a clear alternative. We're not just gonna tell people what we're against. We're gonna tell people what we were for. And there were two elements to that. The first was Grover Norquist's uh, uh, no tax increase pledge. And that, before that pledge, the joke was both Democrats and Republicans would promise not to raise taxes. Democrats would raise their pro, uh, break their promise and raise taxes a lot, and Republicans would break their promise and only raise taxes a little. And that was supposed to be enough of a difference to get people to vote. Well, it wasn't. And Grover did an amazing thing by getting, with the support of the, you know, a lot of the old Reagan team, he made people sign a pledge that said, We're not going to support, we're not going to increase taxes. And so all of a sudden there was a difference. And then Newt went one step further and he came up with the contract with America. And the contract with America was 10 things that Republicans promised to do. we were gonna bring a vote, uh, 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 a bill to the floor for a balanced budget amendment. We were gonna bring term limits to the floor. We were gonna clean up the management of the house. Some of those things we did. In fact, we did all of them that we could, but some of them we just didn't have the votes. So I believe that it's time for another Republican contract with America. I don't know what we call it. I'm sure the pollsters will figure out some great word. (laughs) But it's got to be simple, and it's got to be things that people can remember. And I think the time has come for Republicans to do more than argue about which gang of politicians controls Washington. The American people are not satisfied with that.
0: We're not happy with either uh, leadership right now. They want stuff done, and also they want government out of their life. It's a, it's a really amazing flashpoint for the public right now. You, when, you to, when you measure it in polling and when you talk to real voters, they're tired of this seesaw.
1: So the theme, I think, was brilliantly suggested by President Trump in his inaugural address in 2017 when he basically said, I'm here to take power out of Washington and give it back to the people. And if Republicans and advocates of constitutional government say, look, we're here not just to argue about who controls Washington, but to start taking power away from Washington. We have a theme that unites um, swing voters and all different parts of the limited government coalition. People say, well, okay, how would you start? Well, number one is let's take away the power of politicians to manipulate the size of the Supreme Court. That's the Keep Nine Amendment. Polling shows 62 to 18% support. Number two, let's take away the power of the unelected bureaucrats to rule by decree. And there's something that, uh, uh, John, you and I have discussed before, which is something called the Regulation Freedom Amendment, which has been endorsed by the Republican National Committee and now 29 state legislative chambers. And all it says is major new federal regulations have to be approved by Congress. And polling shows overwhelming two-to-one support. So we take away the power of Congress to corrupt the courts, take away the power of bureaucrats to rule by decree. The third piece could be, let's stop trusting Congress to impose fiscal discipline on itself. Let's go back to the Ronald Reagan idea of a fiscal discipline amendment, which limits borrowing to sustainable amounts and prevents Congress from passing on uh, the cost of today's government waste uh, to uh, the next generation. And if Republicans ran on preserving an independent court, curbing the bureaucrats, and restoring fiscal discipline, we'd have a positive program that unites almost every part of our coalition. I'm sure we're going to disagree on some other issues. But those three elements, I think, could be the key to a new Uh, a a new contract with America, and unlike the 10, which most people can't remember, I think most people could remember. Preserve the court, curb the bureaucrats, stop the borrowing or limit the borrowing, and people say, wow, the Republicans really stand for something, and it would get over some of our disagreements about all the issues that we love to disagree about.
0: uh, Um, So... Good. You know, our your former boss, New Gingrich, is here yesterday and he talked about the idea that when Republicans have ideas, they succeed. And when they have uh, just attacks, they they kind of flounder about. And so this is, you know, here is the kernel of a new contract with America. We're right here on this show with with Roman Bueller. Do you think uh the folks that matter, like uh you've got the you know the Republican Study Committee, others Do you think they're ready to put something like this together and take it to the American people and make it the theme of the 2020 election?
1: You know, I don't know. I was talking, uh, I've been talking to uh, uh, staff and advisors to members of Congress and looking for uh, the Newt Gingriches of the next generation who might like to lead this. But I think that uh, the country has changed and the leadership uh, for the Keep Nine Amendment and for this broader idea of taking power out of Washington. It's going to have to come from the grassroots. And so the the single most important point that I would make to listeners here is don't wait for the politicians in Washington or even in your state capital to lead. You are the leaders. We are the leaders. Um, I've been able to do so much more uh, not working for the federal government, not being on a a government salary, uh, because this country is a democracy and you know the politicians are our employees and employees tend to think short term the owners of this republic are us the citizens and so i believe that we can do what frankly women did when they earned the right to vote what the abolition movement did to abolish slavery what the civil rights movement did to end segregation i think we can do that again and we need a new american renaissance about curbing the abuse of federal power in ways that two-thirds of the public support. And so my appeal to people who are listening is if you'd like to continue this conversation, um, reach out uh, to us at uh, leaders at keep9.org, which is my email address. All right. Leaders at keep9.org. Right. Leaders at keep9.org or go to our website, uh, uh, www.keep9.org. And I'd love to hear from uh, listeners about what you think uh, about this effort, and if you're interested, enlist you in what we're doing at the grassroots, uh, because this is we've gotten now more than 165 members of Congress to support the Keep Nine Amendment without hiring a lobbyist. Wow! And the way we've done that—no lobbyists at all. The way I'm we've about done that. that. Yep, we've got volunteers contacting. Grassroots people around, uh, contacting elected officials around the country, and it is amazing what grassroots volunteers can do. We had one senator; he wasn't quite sure if he wanted to support it. Somebody figured out how to talk to his wife. The wife talked to the senator. Bang! The senator was on board. That's so a way to a, go.
0: That's it, good.
1: It's 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 incredible what ordinary uh, people uh, who aren't movie stars or senators or you know billionaires can do. Yeah. I, not that we don't need the support of. Uh, everybody Uh, welcoming uh, senators and movie stars and billionaires if they want to help. But this is a movement led by grassroots people.
0: Yeah, And returning the power to the people. I mean, I think that theme that you mentioned from Trump's inaugural address, and first of all, it is the heart of the Republican Party when the Republican Party is being true to itself, right? It always has believed in states' rights and and returning power to the people, but it has gotten astray from it for long periods of time. And I think you're, I think, uh, Roman, you're onto something here. It's a is a really rich moment folks if you haven't had a chance go to keep9.org right now check it out you can email them you can sign up you can get involved in this it is a really exciting initiative we're watching it as journalists and we're seeing some of that momentum and i was lucky enough to be on a call with roman earlier this week to get an update and i said you know what folks in, on this podcast have to hear about this it's really really great roman what do you think are the next steps for you what, what will be happening this spring and summer as, as sort of as we wrap up here, what what do you think are the key steps for you to finish this out?
1: Well, first of all, this isn't going to be finished in short term. Right? Saving the republic from uh, from the left is not something, and <laughs> it's not a, a it's huh? temporary temporary <laughs> exercise, right? But uh, our campaign is in four steps. The first step is we want every single Republican in Congress, every single Republican governor, every single Republican attorney general and ultimately every single Republican uh, in the state legislature and in state office to endorse the amendment. Now, with two-thirds of the Republicans in the House, 40 percent in the Senate, unanimous vote of the RNC, our job is now to get every Republican on board. And that's a huge job, and we're going to need grassroots people all over the country calling their Republican elected officials. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to recruit more Democrats. In Washington, we won't get very many, but our goal is to build a network of hundreds and eventually thousands of grassroots Democrats all over the country who know that court packing is bad for the for Democrats, bad for America, and bad for democracy, and, and enlist them. And then the third thing we've got to do is we've got to educate the public. Got to let them know that there is a Keep Nine Amendment out there to ban court packing and that they should ask their candidates, the candidates that they're thinking about voting for, in 2021 and 2022, where they stand. And if we can do those three things, right? We can make keep nine a household word, and we can basically uh, force the political class in Washington uh, to do something permanently to ban court packing in just, instead of just talking about where they stand on it, right? Politicians love to tell you where they stand, right. but it's really hard to get them to do something positive, and the keep nine as an uh, amendment is an opportunity to do that.
0: Well, you're, you're to something here, Roman, and now we're going to be tracking this at justthenews.com and, of course, at John Solomon Reports. This is an important movement, and uh, just the mere fact that this started with a bipartisan bill last fall, it's such a rare moment to have something start with both sides or at least one person from each side agreeing there is there is a large kernel of America that wants this done, and uh, it seems like we're going to be tracking this and, and see it through to completion. That'll be a very important mission, so... Thank you for, uh, for joining us, uh, getting us up to speed on this. And, folks, if you want to go back and check it, keep9.org. That's, that's the place to go. Roman, thanks again. Good, good, good opportunity to get up to date on a very important issue.
1: Thank you, John. Really appreciate your having me on the program. Oh, my honor.
0: All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Okay, picture
1: this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
0: all right folks that wraps up another week of john solomon reports the podcast from justin news we're so grateful you joined us uh, really love this week we had some great guests a few congresswomen uh, newt gingrich today roman Bueller, and a unique movement going on in america to lock the supreme court at nine through a constitutional amendment so glad you can join us now before you go i always like to uh, shout out one of our great sponsors and advertisers and we've got another one here today that's so important Home title lock, if you ever woke up in the middle of the night with a bad dream and thought your home had been stolen from out from under your well, this is how you make sure you don't have that dream ever again. Take, for instance, if your credit card company began finding suspicious charges on your card, you'd be upset because you'd know it was identity theft, right? But there is a type of fraud you need to worry about that isn't that easy to detect. It's called home title theft. And it's a devastating crime because somebody can literally steal your home from out from under you, run up debts against the title. That's why you need home title lock, just like I have it. Here's how you do it. It's easy. First, you gotta understand how the crime occurs. It is easy for cyber criminals to get your deed, the information on it. The title documents to your home are kept online. The thief forges your signature on a quit claim deed. And now it looks like you've sold your home. And now that thief is the new owner. He can borrow money against it. You just wake up to a giant nightmare, like I mentioned. The instant home title lock detects someone tampering with your home's title. They shut it down. That's really important. You don't have to worry about it. They take care of it for you. So if you want to get protected, go to HometitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Hopefully you're not. Then you enter in RADIO, R-A-D-I-O, for a 30 free day trial of protection. That's a great deal. 30 free days of protection from lock.com. You'll sleep a lot better. You probably won't wake up again with that bad middle of the night nightmare. All right, folks, that wraps it up for the weekend. I hope God blesses you and this great country as he always has in the United States of America. We'll be back Monday with another edition of John Solomon Reports.